Welcome to our Brave Feminine Leadership interview series where I get to meet incredible leaders and dig into delicious stories about their background and life. We get to ask them all about women in leadership and uh, we get to hear their wisdom and perspective on life and leadership. So today I am thrilled to introduce Janine Hall. Welcome, Janine. Thank you. So lovely to be here with you. Wonderful to have you here. So let me touch on your bio quickly so everyone knows who I'm talking to and then we'll get into our conversation. So Janine Hall's founder of Escape Haven and the Palm Tree House in Bali, Indonesia, and is well regarded as a pioneer, having developed her successful luxury women's retreat brand over 14 years ago before retreats proliferated. I can't even say the word, Janine. <laughs> the wellness travel scene. Over this time, Janine has welcomed more than 10,000 women on a transformational retreat journey, and she's received dozens of prestigious international awards. Prior to founding this wonderful business, Janine led a successful international corporate career in marketing and communications that took her to London for a dream job, working as head of marketing in Selfridges, London. And through her international career, has seen her work and live in Auckland, Miami, Sydney, and Tokyo. A solitary holiday to Bali, where she did yoga for the first time, and after a lot of personal time of reflection, she realised she'd been lost, even though she hadn't even fully realised. And it was this transformation that gave Janine the drive and desire to create create a space for women to fill up their tanks. Janine, I have been so lucky to have visited these wonderful retreats twice so I can personally vouch for everything that I've just read and how wonderful they are. For the people in our audience who haven't come across you before, let's get into your story and who you are as a human being and how this all came about. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, So who am I? I, in in a corporate sense or in a work sense, I'm a chief happiness officer. I always struggled with the title of CEO or founder. And I just felt it was really fitting when I thought about what my core purpose was and what was at the why of the heart of what I did. So it's about spreading happiness. Um, and yeah, I'm thrilled to do it. After, as you said, so many years in the corporate sector, I realized my ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And I wanted to create a space and um, a sanctuary where other busy, successful corporate women could come to avoid burnout mm-hmm. because I, I'd reached burnout and I had gone so far past the line that my, you know, fight and flight indicators were almost broken. So I didn't want that to ha- happen to other women. And that's very much the why behind the retreat and how I got there. Bali was never on the cards it was never my plan a or my plan b but I think like the best things that happen in life often are things that you haven't predicted they're not in your plan they're not in your you know vision board of where you actually think you're gonna go but sometimes life leads you on the most spectacular journeys and you end up somewhere far better than you possibly could have imagined so I've been in Bali for 14 years I set my retreat up there with $10,000 in my pocket, uh, which is all I had. And uh, yeah, it's just been such a privilege of mine to be here and to be allowed to operate here, to work amongst a beautiful Balinese team that I just adore Mm -hmm. and to meet so many incredible women over the years. Um, So yeah, I say it's my Bali honeymoon 14 years later and I'm still on my honeymoon stage with Bali. 
That's absolutely fantastic. And I know there have been so many twists and turns as you've navigated through all through all of that. Let's just go, let alone COVID, trying to, you know, run retreats during COVID and all those sorts of things. But before we get anywhere near that, you know, I'm excited about our conversation, Janine, because I know that, you know, you've got that unique perspective on a whole range of fronts. You know, you've got the unique perspective of having operated at a senior corporate level in your own career. Um, in multiple countries and organisations, an entrepreneur, a really successful entrepreneur in your own right, and now this insight into all of these incredible women who come to to spend time in the retreats. So let's get into your story though, and let's let's step through that and how you how you ended up here on this twisty path. <laughs> I like how you describe it, twists and turns. I, I describe it like you know, some turns in the road and some forks and then some head-on collisions. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they say the path to success is, you know, people often think it's a straight line. It very much is like this. But you wouldn't have it any other way, right? Because it's your failures that teach you the biggest lessons. And when life's all honky-dory and smooth sailing, you never really ask yourself those big questions to pivot your life onto a different trajectory. So, even though it has been challenging, it's been a, um, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, How did I get here? Well, when I was living back in New Zealand, um, I'd gone back, I was headhunted for a role um, for our um, national retailer there, heading up the marketing department. I just threw myself into working uh, flat out. I wanted to be as successful as I could. And for me, that meant putting everything else on hold, why I tried to achieve that. Mm. So as a consequence of that, I got burnout. And I decided one day after I'd been very successful um, and something that I'd been uh, striving for for two years, I was uh, had an executive coach at the time and we were sitting at the celebratory dinner. And she said to me, you don't seem happy. You know, as a good coach does, they can just see through you know, see through the ears and the graces, et cetera. And I said, well, actually, I'm not. I'm not happy. I didn't realize that everything I've been working towards wouldn't make me happy. And it's quite a it's quite a sinking feeling, I think, when that, you know, does happen in, in life. Um, Melissa, gosh, my computer charger is doing something funny. I'm plugged in, but this charger keeps going off and on. So I was sitting at this dinner and it was the, you know, it was the end of a two-year incubation um, program where 20 of us in senior management had been put through and five of us were successful. So we'd been given a corporate coach, loads of profiling tools, overseas trips to look at other retailers, a lot of different scenario planning and projects that we'd worked on together and it'd been fantastic. And through that, not at any stage had I thought what will happen when I get to the end of it. I um, just wanted to achieve it. You know, like my motivation with anything I did in the corporate world, I just blindly kind of followed one stage onto the, onto the next, one promotion onto the next without really thinking, how's this going to make me feel? So it was a real surprise when I was sitting at this dinner, five of us after two years had, had made it through. And my coach who knew me so well after that two-year period ask the provocative question of how how are you feeling, Janine? You don't seem, you know, that happy. 
And I hadn't realized that my mask had kind of slipped there because I hadn't really identified it within myself. But I wasn't happy. She was right. And I'd got to the end of this very taxing two years and realized that, gosh, I don't want this. Yeah. Don't want this. What is it that I want? Because for the first time in my life, I actually don't know. I'm recognizing that this identity that I've held since I was a very young girl wanting to be a CEO, driving towards that mission, actually didn't fit me anymore. I'd outgrown it somewhere along the way. And I don't know when that happened or where it happened, but all I knew was sitting there at that dinner opposite her, I realized that that wasn't me any longer. Mm. And I couldn't logically continue doing it because I re- recognized that it wasn't making me happy. So what so did you do? <laughs> so what did I do? I did what any smart uh, woman would do at that time, and I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I sold all of my possessions, even my laptop, which in hindsight was not the smartest move. And I had this huge party, uh, Brazilian-themed, and I went to Brazil to set up a well-being retreat because I thought, you know, I had so much time to really reflect on how I'd gotten there and I thought one of the key things that I had experienced as a female in the corporate sector was burnout no one's going to tell you hey slow down oh you're doing too much don't work on your weekends why are you still here at 8 p.m yes oh great that you got that project done on time here's another one and when you finish that come and let me know and I'll give you another one too and so it can be the perfect storm to um you know, to fall into burnout when you are someone that's a high achiever, when you're someone that's hugely motivated, and when you're someone with the kind of character of going, okay, how high would you like me to jump? Yes, yeah. I can do that. Yeah. Um, and just that relentless pursuit of achievement. So I was guilty of all of those things, and it cost me my happiness, and it cost me just part of who I was. I'd always been such a happy-go-lucky person that would laugh over nothing just one of those people that you'd walk past in the hallway that would just be laughing to themselves yeah not anything major but just because they were happy and joyful and somewhere along the way particularly in those two years that had slipped and you hadn't even noticed right so you know yeah no I do remember a girlfriend saying oh you're not so available anymore and I dropped some of the key things that made me me. I still have wakeboarding. I had a wakeboarding boat. I could see that from my office. Um, I'd spend a lot of time. I was a godmother. I would spend a lot of time with my friends. And over that time, it was just a gradual departure away from those core foundational things that made me who I was outside of my career. Mm -hmm. So it was like this identity of being a successful you know, woman in a, a corporate sense overtook ev- everything else. Yeah. And then I started seeing myself through that identity. Mm. And so you shapeshift and then suddenly you get to a place in time and I think something happens like that dinner and you realize, gosh, I'm so far away from where I thought I would be. How do I get back there? Yeah. Or how do I evolve to a different version of myself? Because I'm not really liking this one. So Brazil was the answer in front of you at that point in time? It was. A few years before that, um, when I was in Sydney doing marketing for David Jones, I'd gone to a, a resort in Ubud in Bali and done yoga for the first time in Ayurveda. And it was there that I came up with the idea of, gosh, I'm undertaking this incredible transformation where I don't have to be on. 
Mm-hmm. I don't have to be thinking. I don't have to um, be on top of everything. And in the driving seat of my life, I can let go of control. And through this great unwinding of slowing down, I always say it's like a truck going down a highway at a million miles an hour. And I see it with our guests on retreat and they slam on the brakes and then all the cargo kind of goes like this. And it's a little bit of an uncomfortable place unwinding when you're so, you know, your adrenal glands and have just been in overdrive for so long. So that's what happened to me in Ubud. And on about day five, I just felt peaceful. I felt happy. I felt joyful again. And that's where the seed of the idea came from saying, well, what if I, I know that I'm having this transformation. What if I could create a space that was woman only, because there were couples and kids there, um, that would come on a certain day and would journey together over the course of seven days with all of these like tank topping goodness activities, you know, spa, Ayurveda, nutritious food, yoga, meditation at its core. So that's where the idea came from. But I then got the job offer and was headhunted for the role back in New Zealand. So I kind of shelved that plan. Then the dinner happened and I thought, okay, I know what I need to do now. And so that's where I, yeah, sold the shares, sold everything, sold the wakeboard boat, said goodbye to all my friends and family. My father thought I was absolutely mad because it's not seen as the right thing to do to leave the corporate sector, you know. I'd been at university for seven years of my life, studied for so long, held down all of these jobs one after the other on this pathway to that childhood dream. And so it wasn't, the hardest part wasn't just me making that decision to assume a different direction in my life. It was dealing with all of the dogma that came from making that decision. Yes. That was very it was very strong to sort of stand in the face of all of that and still hold true to what I knew needed to be my new path. So then uh, six months later, I lost almost everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in Brazil, realizing, oh my gosh, I've burned through all my life savings. I have 10 grand left. This is not a viable venture here. There was a whole spate of crime against American tourists. Long story short, flights to Northeast Brazil stopped And they had to go all the way down to Rio, all the way back up to northeast Brazil where I was. Mm -hmm. So access, which was one of the key things that was important for the retreat, just completely fell off a cliff. So dogma came up again majorly um, because I thought, gosh, all of those people that said I was crazy, that I was mad, what was I doing? It was a reckless idea. Am I having a midlife crisis? You know, all of those big things abandoned around sort of resurfaced but again I went back to knowing from a logical sense that it wasn't making me happy so why on earth would I choose to go back and do something that was no longer making me happy and so I didn't I um, went to New Zealand briefly Um, I was offered an amazing role um, comms director role and my father died so again all of these factors that kind of contributed into me choosing my old life but I so believed in the idea even though it had failed in Brazil I think having a growth mindset is one of the you know I talk to my young daughters about it all the time because I think it's one of the most powerful things that we can have as women that will dictate our our success more than anything and I'm so grateful for mine because it would have been really easy at that time just to go okay everyone was right okay 
I've just need to go back and get on with things. Maybe I just need to find a different role that I'm sure I'll just suck it up and it'll be fine. Yeah. But I can't yeah. do it. So I went to Bali and I had 10 grand and I had um, enough for three months to live there, five weeks of accommodation in a luxury villa. And um, yeah, 14 years later, 10,000 women later, and I'm so proud of my former self that she had the guts and the courage and and that mindset and, and self-belief and what she was doing and, 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 you know, walking that new path. You, you strike me, given all of the places you lived and all the adventures you'd been on, you strike me as someone who, who was a risk taker naturally. Would you describe yourself that way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I always wanted to <laughs> experience things fully mm. and I didn't want to, you know, waste a day. I'm an early riser, always have been. I like to make the most of life. And all of the possibilities and potential out there because I believe it's such an exciting, you know, such an exciting place. And so, yeah, I've always, always taken risks. Mm, amazing. So let's talk, I mean, just this insight into the incredible women, you know, it's almost like you've got this, um, you know, insight into 10,000 women. You know, what is life like? As uh, as a senior professional female in the corporate world these days, Janine, what's your lens say about it? My lens says that women are doing incredibly well in that sense, in terms of what they're achieving, but there's a cost to that, and. Often um, women that come to us have got something's working. You know, it's it's kind of like that triangle, pick two things. Yes. <laughs> so it's either the relationship's going really well, but their career's suffering, yet they've had a family. And so they've had to sort of shape shift with that and, and have to catch up to that change in, again, identity. Mm. Or they, like many of our guests, they have put off having kids, they've put off finding the partner, or they've been so into driving their career like I was that there's actually no space for a relationship, but yet that's what they desire more than anything. Mm. However, their career gives them that dopamine fix. It fills them up. They feel like they've achieved, and that's been something that's quite hard to break in terms of actually creating space to get that balance and to find a partner. I think... You know, you hear that term work-life balance bandied around so much. It's not true. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think women can achieve everything. I think they can have the triangle, but at different stages. And I think that the way that we are um, programmed is to think that we should be modern-day superwoman that can have absolutely everything all at the same time. Yeah. And I think it's more of a blend of things. So it's it's like a blend rather than a balance. And, um, yeah, I would say that would be one of the biggest things. The second thing that I hear so much from a lot of our guests is that they feel to be successful in the corporate arena, they've had to become more masculine. Yes, I remember you saying that to me when we spoke. Like, tell me about that. What are they saying to you? Uh, well, some of the things that really touched my heart when I heard it, we have this beautiful opening circle and I'll often hear, 
women say, I just want to be a nicer version of myself. And I'm like, oh, the fact that they say that already shows that they're, you know, in touch with their heart and that they are a beautiful, you know, a beautiful person to even recognize that or to have that ambition. And when you dig into that, it's very much around, I feel like I have to make the hard calls at work. I feel that I have to suit up and boot up in order to survive in this corporate sense, to be not overlooked for things, to, to have my voice heard. Um, and this there's this departure away from the very essence of what makes women incredible leaders. Mm. And so that makes me sad because that's something that I hear often, all the time. Then you think about that. So you think about, okay, well, I'm giving up a lot of what makes me me in order to assume more of a masculine identity. And I want a partner, and this is this is what's really funny. I want a partner that's really masculine. You know, all the time, I want a guy that will, you know, take charge and order for me in a restaurant and organize the date, et cetera. But you can't have two masculine energies coexisting. It's not physically, it's not energetically possible. Yeah. And so I feel that there is this confusion from a gender perspective often um, for female and leadership roles, where it's like this unlearning of some of the survival kind of mass toxic masculine, because there's a lot of beautiful masculine <laughs> traits, um, but toxic masculinity traits that women have felt they've had to kind of armor themselves with to survive and succeed and to elevate in the corporate sense. Mm. So that makes me sad and I understand it. I remember really well at my last place of employment, you know, happy-go-lucky, I've always, you know, enjoyed my femininity. But I went to a retailer, which was amazing, amazing place. Um, however, very masculine. And I remember going, um, it was probably my third week of working there. I vividly remember this. And it was Halloween. And so I went to our trading meeting, which is all men, except for myself and one hilarious potty-mouthed English woman called Andrea, who was fabulous, my real ally over the years I worked there. And I was staying with a girlfriend at the time because I just moved back from Australia for this role. And her next door neighbor that was five helped me design this Halloween t-shirt. And so I had like all orange paint on it and I had like spiders sewn into it because I thought I'm just going to dress up and theme and bring a bit of me into this very masculine boardroom. And I remember sitting there, I didn't know anyone that well. And then just all the guys sniggering. And I remember looking down and the orange paint had kind of like rubbed off this really nice white boardroom table. And I just felt for someone, I've always been pretty confident. I just felt like I shrunk. Yeah. I really shrunk myself. And it took me back to like kind of like a schoolyard day. Yeah. And that environment I'm very grateful for, but it was a real kind of harsh introduction into what the next three years would be like in a senior management role there because I had to survive and to find a way to have my voice heard and to stand up and present you know on things where the department that I was looking after was seen as a bit of a fluff you know fluff area Yes. So, you know, I responded to that by being more masculine, by being more assertive, by being more forceful. Mm-hmm. And that was a departure away from the very essence of who I was. Yeah. So when I see these women on retreat and I hear their stories, I know firsthand exactly what they're going through. 
Let me take a brief pause from listening to the podcast for a minute just to check in and see if the conversation's inspiring any new thoughts or any new reflections for you. I hear so often from people in our audience, largely successful and senior professional women, how much they are craving some inspiration into their lives. I would just love to share with you, if you're looking for some, then come and sign up for our Sunday Inspiration email series. You can find a link in the show notes at the end of the show. Now let's get back to the podcast. So what do, because, well, I guess I guess there's lots of choices, right? People can make choices and they can leave their corporate roles or, you know, there's all sorts of things people can do. Um, some people might not have the risk profile for that um, and yet, you know, they're going to continue to operate in this space. How do they take away, you know, from spending time in this beautiful environment where you get to fill your tank and things like that, how do you encourage people to build a lot more of that into, you know, into what they do every day? So it's not because often by the time people arrive with you, there isn't anything left in the tank, is there? Often that's the case. Um, and I think you said the word before, uh, um, very much around resilience tools. Yeah. So if we're going to be entering environments, we know that they're going to be challenging and they're going to test us. That's like life, right? And it's yeah. nice. I call it sand and underpants, you know, that gritty kind of feeling. I mean, it makes life interesting. We don't want to always be in overdrive, of course, but we want to be able to meet life's challenges with resilience. And so it's being able to have really great rituals and practices. Um, I'm a huge advocate of having a really strong morning routine. It's something that we promote um, very heavily on retreat because that sets up your day. Um, and that way you're not having life control you. You're in the driving seat of your life. You're choosing how you show up. You're choosing how you approach a situation. As you say, we've always got so many choices in terms of how we think, feel and act. Yeah. So having real solid base of well, well-being tools and rituals can really help with that. And it's not something you need a lot of time for. You don't need money. You certainly don't need to come and see me in Bali for this. Yes. There's so many things that you can learn or you can just implement. So by the end of the day, it's like going, well, okay, what did I put into my tank and what did I take out of it? Because a lot of, you know, a lot of work will will, will drain you. Right. So it's very simple things from um, breathwork practice that takes a couple of minutes while you're still in your bed in the morning or getting sunlight in your eyes within half an hour of waking. Mm -hmm. It's one of the best things you could do in terms of being energizing, having hot water and lemon in the morning and making sure you have nothing sweet in the morning mm -hmm. because that's going to spike your glucose levels and then you're going to have you know, crashes in your energy during the day. And then you're going to end up, you know, craving more and more sweet things during the day, which is then going to get your glucose levels completely out of whack. Yeah. Through to being able to do just some gentle stretching or fitness, uh, which then is really great for cognitive abilities or being able to have supplementation like, you know, there's so many amazing adaptogens now with mushrooms and the incredible growing awareness of how fabulous these things are. Mm. So it's just little bits of tank toppers. Obviously on retreat, we immerse women in this cocoon of all self-care practices that they can then choose what resonates with them to take home and put them into a really good routine because they feel fabulous. You know, when you often go away, you get this amazing education um this practice and then because you feel so good you don't want to let go of that feeling 
So it's a really great way of being able to pivot onto a path and resetting onto something new. Um, So I love seeing that. You know, I was speaking to someone the other day who wrote a book and they said that you write write the book that you need out in the world. Yes. Have you created the retreat that you need in the world, Janine? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's exactly what I did. Yeah, absolutely. And it it evolved as I did. So it was before the pandemic, very much around, you know, physical activities. Then after the pandemic is very much around healing, healing, um, reflection, uh, you know, Ayurveda. Those are our probably, gosh, I'd say 80% of our guests do those packages now. So there's been a huge departure away from the physical packages. And how did you take care of yourself? Because COVID was a really challenging time for you and for your business and for Bali broadly. Yeah, it was. It was a, it was, it's a bit of a blur now, isn't it, when we think back to that chapter. Um, we were in New Zealand at the time. Um, and I remember I rang my husband who was at the gym. We just got married. Thought it was going to be the most incredible 23. What could go wrong? This was our year. <laughs> And we were back in New Zealand for three months for the summer holidays. And um, I heard the news that we were going to lock down the following day. Mm. And so I called him and he was like, well, let's go back to Bali then. So we literally, one of my bridesmaids drove an hour and a half with her toddler in tow at 4 a.m. the next morning, helped me back up our entire house. And we got the last flight out of New Zealand to Bali um, because we knew we wanted to be with our team in Bali. Um It is a country, it's an island that relies so heavily on tourism. Yes. So we wanted to be with our team. And we decided that we wanted to also lead in terms of being there for our community. And whilst women couldn't travel to us, we could bring Bali to them through streaming um, our retreats into their living rooms. So we put on the world's first wellness retreat. We had 3,000 women, um, a lot from Australia, join us. And I think we were all kind of in this together, in this new world, thinking, what on earth's going on? But, hey, here's some really incredible wellness tools and practices that are going to help you. So we did that. It was completely free. And then we just did ongoing programs um, for a lot of our community all around the world. And it also allowed our team to have some focus as well during this time when most of their families had all lost their jobs. Unemployment was huge. There wasn't government support. It was just... Um, a very scary, scary chapter for um, Bali to navigate. And it was a privilege to be here. So we just got busy. <clears throat> we put on, we call it a mini tourism university. So we gave our team, we had 70 um, team at the time, and we did butler training, we did yoga, meditation, spa training, food training. We just got busy. And we just focused. We did a karma kitchen where we've got all these cute little yellow buggies at work. And we had the chefs and the team create Nazi Champor, these little yummy food packages. And we delivered them all around the community. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And I think that was really important because when you're in a state of giving, you're in a state of abundance. You can't be in a state of scarcity when you give. That's why people feel good when they give that exchange of donating to charities, right? You, you feel good about that because you're operating from a place of abundance. And so that was our thinking around doing that. We called it the Karma Kitchen. 
Um, so we did that, which was really lovely. And we just bonded together as a team. Um, and that also meant we didn't know when the pandemic was going to finish. Trent and I and my husband are both huge optimists. So we were the ones going, this can't go on for very long. I mean, really, the world can't shut down for longer than a week, can it? <laughs> <laughs> so we were kind of in that camp. And um, yeah, kind of a year in, I was like, oh, okay. This isn't looking good. Um, and we were mid-buying a retreat at the time. and Everything over here is cash. Yeah. So we, we just had to sell up everything we'd worked so hard for to pay staff salaries because we had 70 families to look after. Um, to look after our own family, we had two young kids, mm. two young babies, um, to finish the payments on the retreat we had. And um, then over that time when it kept you know, it kept extending and extending. We thought, well, women are going to need more than ever now a place to come and heal. And so that's when we saw that the land behind the retreat, the new retreat was for sale. We thought, what if? Yeah. And so some friends and family banded in together to help us and to support us. And we um, built a beautiful resort over the pandemic, which was interesting in and of itself. <laughs> building during a pandemic <laughs> and I, I know with all these wonderful things Janine you you don't sit still for long your mind doesn't sit still for long and there's all this infectious bubbly kind of you know what's next what are you what are you excited about next is there something ticking over in that mind right now <laughs> there are there's a, there's a few things um one um one thing that we're looking at at the moment, we're doing, a, it's called Happy, and it's basically looking at our health and um, happiness index through work. Mm -hmm. And through those discussions, we've discovered like one of the biggest issues um, or barriers standing in the way for our female staff, because we're heavily skewed towards female. We have 80 um, team members and 62 are female wow. underneath us. And yes. is there a need to also be the carer? as well as having the career. And so we're very unusual for an Indonesian business. We just celebrated International Women's Day here. It's a beautiful interviews with all of our staff and what it means to be an Indonesian woman with a career and what were the challenges. But through this whole project that we're doing at the moment, where we gauge engagement through the, this happy score, yes. um, we found that so many of our team weren't able to be the primary caregivers for their young children. Right. So they were, they would see the young children once a week. Oh, wow. And they were up in the villages with their mother-in-laws. Yes. Because Harley, when you get married, you go to the compound of the of the husband. And I thought that I was I was adopted. Yeah. And I you know uh, and I just thought that's not happening on my watch. I, I, that is just not happening. So one of the things that we're doing at the moment is creating a creche, a free creche for our female staff members because anything that we can do, which is a barrier to um, women rising in their careers in Bali, we'll just remove. It's not big things, you know, developing a creche here. It sounds like you, I imagine in Australia that would be a big thing. Here it's not. It's not moving a mountain. No, it's not a big hill to to climb over. So that's one of the things that I'm most excited about coming up on that front. Um, on a business expansion front, we are um, currently looking at finishes. 
So I'm such a boaty um, and I really want to do off the grid boat based retreats. We did them before the pandemic where we partnered with a boat. I really want my own one. And my husband's very much into the male empowerment space. So it's quite interesting. I'm on the female side. He's on the male one where um, we want to be able to have a space where people can come away, get off the grid completely and just get back to the essence of who they are. Yeah. Connect with himself. Was your husband into that when you guys met? No. No, he was corporate. He was, um, yeah, strategy planner at different ad agencies. and Yeah, so no, he wasn't. But through working, um, you know, in Escape Haven with me behind the scenes and seeing all of the incredible results we have with women, it inspires him to do the same for men. So he does that in just a very social sense with men's circles that he runs over a beer through fishing or there's always some gate opener for men but that's the space that he's most passionate about and so that's what we love about being able to get completely off the grid because the other challenge that I didn't speak about before that I see is technology so a lot of our guests that are hugely successful our typical guests someone that's very successful in the corporate sense they are very much tied to always being on and always feeling that need to be connected to technology. And so what I really love about off-the-grid experiences, guess what happens? Yeah, it doesn't work. And it rewires the synapses in the brain that have been so trained and so on to get that dopamine hit. Oh, I've got a new message. I better respond to it. Yes. You know, every time we do that, we depart away from getting back to our essence of balance, peacefulness, and joy. And so I love that idea of off-the-grid experiences. Of course, on retreat, we invite women to be more tech-free and certainly never at the at mealtimes. Um, certainly, we have that tech-free space at mealtimes, but I would love to be able to have a space where it was physically impossible yeah. to have technology. Fantastic. So it's time for the boat to come back. We're going full circle after the yes. out of your office window in New Zealand. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The boat so I would love to ask you, um, and I love the work you're doing, Janine, I'd love to ask you the final question I ask everybody, which is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like and do you think it needs to change? Good question. Um, Brave feminine leadership, I think, as the name suggests, it's about being able to tap in to the very thing that makes us unique as women and being able to lead from that place, not having to put on armor, being able to unlearn all of the things that we thought were important for us to show up or be accepted in what's still a very male-dominated space by being ourselves, giving ourselves permission to know that we are enough exactly as we are and being able to find our authentic voice. When we mask who we are, what we say, for fear of not fitting in, we, we're not honouring ourselves and we're not honouring each other as well. There is so much that we have to offer um, as women, you know, the nurturing side, the excellent communication, the empathy that we have, the ability to intuitively understand other people to be able to read a room and, and be able to galvanize people to be inspired and to and to follow a company vision, um, to bring up the best in people, to nurture careers and really build people up. All of this 
is what's so inbuilt in 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 us as as females. And I think when we um try to fit in to a male-dominated world or a male-dominated industry or workplace, we lose a lot of our power and potential. And so I think that to me is what brave feminine leadership is. Amazing. Thank you so much for adding your voice to the conversation. It's been wonderful having you here. Oh, it's so nice to see you again. Thank you for having me. I've loved our chat today. And that was the end of another podcast conversation. So thank you so much for listening to the episode today. I often hear from leaders who felt inspired by the conversations and are ready to put themselves first. And so I wanted to take a brief moment just to share how I've helped hundreds of women just like you become crystal clear on the exact steps they should be following right now to lead an intentional and sustainable life without second-guessing themselves so that they can maximise their influence and impact. I've put some details into the show notes and there's a link there where you can find out some more about our signature Elevate and Influence program. While you're there, take the time to sign up for our Sunday inspiration email series. Have a brilliant day.